0: Welcome to Good Enough Parenting, the place where not-so-perfect parents tune in to be reminded that our kids are gonna be okay, even if we don't always know what we're doing, are making a million mistakes, and trying new things. I'm Carly Aroldi, a family play therapist, childhood mental health expert, and good enough mom of two. I may be the expert in childhood mental health, but you are the expert on your kid. And by combining my practical, peaceful parenting tools with everything you already know about your child, you and your family will experience more calm, more connection, and more cooperation in your daily life. So let's throw out the idea of the perfect parent, and remember that our kids just need us to be good enough. Because if you don't feel like yelling at your kids sometimes, you're not spending enough time with them. Let's jump in. Welcome back to Good Enough Parenting. So this past weekend, we showed our kids the movie, The Wedding Singer. And of course, they loved it because it's a great movie and it's Adam Sandler at his best. But it got me thinking a lot about parenting and childhood in the 80s versus parenting and childhood today. It was actually really fun to talk to my kids about the differences in how we grew up versus how they're growing up. Even little things like if we wanted to hang out with our friends, we would have to bike to their house and knock on their door to see if they were home. We didn't ask our mom to text their mom. Or even something like if we wanted to talk to our friend, we had to call their house and maybe talk to their parent or their annoying brother or sister before we actually got to them. And it made me think about what are some ways of being in the 80s that we might wanna bring back to modern parenting that helps kids develop resiliency, helps them develop coping skills, and helps them just develop the ability to figure things out on their own sometimes. So that's what I'm gonna talk about today. What are some trends from the 80s we wanna bring into the way that we parent today? And the first trend is something I call benign neglect. Now, benign neglect is a phrase that child therapists use often with families, that we don't want to be so over-involved in our children's lives and so micromanaging of them that we deny them the opportunity to figure things out on their own and deny them the opportunity to fail and grow and challenge themselves. And it made me think about a game my sister and I played when we were younger called the spinning game. And the way the spinning game worked where there were watchers and there was a spinner. And the watchers would sit on the front porch of our house and watch the spinner stand in the front lawn and spin around like a top. And then when a car came through, the watchers would scream, car! And the spinners would have to make it back to the front porch before the car passed the house. And if they did, great, it was the next kid's turn. And if they didn't, they'd have to go back and repeat the spin. Now, the thrill of this game was that sometimes you would get so disoriented, sometimes you would get so dizzy, you would actually run towards the road rather than towards the porch. And as a kid, of course this was thrilling, but as a parent, I think of it now and I say, what the heck are you doing? You're literally running into oncoming traffic. But we go back to the idea of benign neglect. I have no idea where my parents were when we were playing that game, and that's okay, because the game wasn't actually that dangerous. As a community of kids, we had created a safety net. We had the watchers who, if a kid started to get too close to the road, would jump off the porch and grab them and bring them back. So we, in our little culture, created a game where we could feel like we were thrill seekers, but actually have some safety. That never would have happened if we had a parent supervising us 24-7 because the parent wouldn't have allowed it. And it wouldn't have given us that space, that opportunity to create something that feels dangerous, but was actually pretty safe. So that benign neglect is so essential for kids to really understand how to be together as a community, first of all, and also where that line of danger really is. And so I was thinking about what are some ways I can just show more benign neglect in our home? And I'm starting with just letting my third grader pack her own snack for school I know this sounds silly. I know it sounds simple. And hopefully many of you are doing it at home, but I haven't been. I've been making sure there's a little bit of a carbohydrate and a little bit of a protein and a little bit of a fruit or a vegetable in her snack. And I'm realizing I'm completely denying her the opportunity to have a little autonomy, have a little independence in figuring out what she wants to eat every day. And so now I just say, pack your snack for school kid. And sometimes she puts cookies in there and sometimes she puts raisins in there and sometimes she puts a clementine and sometimes she puts little bites. But the point is, no matter what she puts in there, it's going to be okay. I don't need to have this watchful eye over her. I can show a little bit of benign neglect because the outcome isn't going to be that harmful. If she has a couple extra cookies a week or she has a couple, you know, extra little bites a week, it's all right. We can show a little benign neglect to that. So that's the first trend I'd love to bring back. The second is the idea that kids should fit into parents' lives, not parents fitting into kids' lives. And that's really tricky to do in today's modern culture, but hear me out how this kind of looked in my childhood. When we woke up on Saturday mornings, We had chores, first of all, like if any kid remembers sleeping at my house on a Friday night, Saturday morning, we were dusting baseboards, we were vacuuming, we were sweeping. And then we had to run errands with our parents. I remember having to go to the dump and then getting to the bank before it closed at noon and then do the grocery shopping. This idea that As a kid, I had to fit into what my parents were doing for the week rather than them running themselves ragged to this practice or this play date or this birthday party or this special event that the town's created just for kids. That actually teaches kids that they're the center and they're most important when what we really want to teach is citizenship and community in our homes. So rather than creating a weekend around what is on your kid's schedule, what is on your schedule, how can you bring your kid into that, and then of course you're gonna sprinkle in some things just for them, right? You're gonna make sure they get to things that are really important, but things that don't work with your schedule, it's okay to say no to. Again, I totally understand how difficult this can be in our modern culture, but it's also essential for kids to understand that they're not the center of the world, that they actually have to be flexible and go along with what other people in the family might need. The third trend is this idea that we need to let our kids fail We are so scared about our kids getting a bad grade or a bad report from a teacher or, you know, a behavior thing happening that we don't let our kids fail and face consequences. And I have a really vivid memory of this trend in action when I was a school counselor. So I was a school counselor in an elementary school for many, many years, and we had a phenomenal school secretary. And one day I was in the office and a parent came in carrying a saxophone. And she said to the secretary, oh, Brian forgot his saxophone this morning. Where can I leave it so he can pick it up before band? And the secretary responded in this just beautiful kind of humorous way that she used to speak. And she said, oh, well, if you want to come back next week with the saxophone again, you can leave it right there in the corner. But if you want to have to not come back to drop it off, bring it back home. And it was so perfect. The way she was expressing to the parent, if you take the saxophone back home and you let your kid suffer through a band lesson where they just have to sit there without an instrument, they're going to be much more motivated to bring the saxophone next week. Then if you leave it here for them, we've just shown them, oh, I don't have to remember things on my own because somebody else will pick up the pieces behind me. Now, again, I was a latchkey kid in the 80s that had two working parents. I had to remember a lot of things on my own. And if I forgot it was school spirit day and I was the only one not wearing blue and white the next day, yeah, I'd be pissed, I'd be upset, but I'd remember the next time. And of course, we want to do this at a developmentally appropriate level. We're not going to expect a kindergartner to retain and hold the same things in their mind that we are a fifth grader. But we're not going to coddle the fifth grader or the sixth grader in the same way we did when they were younger because we're going to show them the consequences of failing sometimes. And that is actually what provides motivation and what provides growth is that ability to fail. And the last piece I'd love to bring back from the 80s is the idea of faith faith in your kids' development, faith in their growth, and faith in yourself as a parent. And I completely understand the irony of myself as a child therapist and parenting expert telling people like, you've got this, you don't need Google, you don't need other people telling you what to do. But I think we forget that. We forget that our instincts about parenting are have been honed through generations and generations. And if we can quiet ourselves sometimes, it'll allow us to bring out what we already know versus relying on people that might have conflicting advice. And so what does this sound like? It sounds like a parent that comes into my office and says, I'm getting so worried because my 13 month old isn't walking yet. And you know, the pediatrician says everything's okay, but I'm not sure. So what are some exercises I can do to get them to walk a little bit like more quickly? And I respond to those parents with, they're not going to crawl into kindergarten. If the pediatrician says everything's okay, they're going to figure it out eventually. Have faith in their timeline, have faith in their development. The same way when I have a family come in and say, oh my gosh, my kindergarten, my kindergartner only knows a certain number of words and they're supposed to know this many words to read by this age level. And again, have faith, have faith that their process is unwinding in the way that needs to unwind for them specifically. And it's okay if it's a little bit faster or it's a little bit slower than people on other end of the spectrum. And then again, faith in yourself as a parent, that you know how to parent your kid. And the other idea is faith in our kids' ability to figure things out. My mom talks sometimes about faith in me understanding how to make friends. She would say, you know, if you were kind to kids, then you would make friends. And if you weren't, they wouldn't play with you. So I just trusted that you were going to figure that out on your own. And of course, we do want to support kids when it's necessary. We do want to guide kids when they're asking for our help. But if we micromanage over them all the time, they're never going to feel the natural consequences of what it's like to not share a ball or scream every time you get out of the game. Having those natural consequences can be really helpful for kids to learn rather than mom and dad explaining it all of the time. And then finally, faith in yourself as a parent. I remember asking my mom when I was trying to figure out which preschool to send my son to, how did you decide which, which nursery school was best for me? And first of all, she only had two options. So it's not like modern day where I could, you know, have a hundred to choose from, but she said, I visited both of them and one of them felt better to me. So that's where you went. She used her gut. She used her instinct. She used her intuition. And I often do that with parents in my practice where they're trying to figure out a tricky parenting situation and just the reminder for them that there is no right or wrong way to do this, but let's get quiet and hear what your gut is telling you. Because once you tap into that, once you tap into that gut feeling, everything else becomes easier. So slow it down and have some faith in your kids' development. Have faith that they're going to figure things out and have faith in yourself. So if this topic really resonated with you, I have two books that I love. Three books, actually. Two are by Wendy Mogul, The Blessing of the Skinned Knee, and The Blessing of the B- are two great books by Wendy Mogul on this topic. And then also, How to Raise an Adult by Julie Lithit haines I believe is her name. But just Google How to Raise an Adult and you'll figure it out. That's good enough for today. Hope this was a good listen and look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks for listening to Good Enough Parenting. If you'd like to learn four simple play therapy techniques you can use at home today to create more calm in your family life, go to paceparent.com forward slash play to get a free video where I'll teach them to you. And you could always hear more from me at Carly Councils on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend, a sister, a spouse, any parent who could use a reminder that our kids don't need us to be perfect just good enough. Until next time.